Welcome to a special bonus episode of Pink Shade with Erin Martin. In this bonus episode, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about who Stuart Trail was as a man, who he was as a leader, and who his wives were and are because he's still married to one of them today. We have to start back when the Kobu wasn't the Kobu. It was the Forever Family, the group he founded in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and he built on the idea that reason and logic can unlock all the secrets of the Bible and that he alone had the interpretation from God himself. People came to know Stewart's preaching as trailisms, and he went by a figure or color coding system when he asked his followers to take notes in their Bibles that he insisted would unlock the secrets they were looking for. He called people different names in the groups according to their ages and according to their time in Christianity. So for instance, older people were called cows, young people were lambs or sheep, newly saved lambs, for instance, and people who were not saved, who were still out there lost, according to Stewart, were considered perverted or swine. The group also used color coding in their talk, and interestingly enough, I still have my dad's pocket New Testament that is color coded according to this Kobu style. There are notes all over it, every single page almost, and there are at least eight different colors of flare pens. Flare pens that Stuart himself would wear in his pocket so that he could pull them out anytime, and he encouraged his followers to, to use these flare pens too. So shout out to flare pens. Stuart was a big fan. He also wore this big black Get Smart, Get Saved button, which he coined as the Kobu's, I don't know, their mission statement maybe. I alluded to this in the first podcast, but I, as a baby, have pictures of myself wearing a Get Smart, Get Saved button also. They were black. Sometimes they were red. I think the one I was wearing was red. And you guys, I am going to find those pictures. I know where they are. They're in a box, in a closet, and full confession, my closets are total disasters. But I am going to dig through them, I promise. I'm going to find some pictures, and I will post them. On the closed Pink Shade with Aaron Martin Facebook group, if you come in there, I've already posted some pictures of Stuart because you guys need to see this guy. Also, if you follow me on Twitter at Aaron Leah Martin or on Instagram at Aaron Leah Martin, I've posted some pictures there as well. Got to take a look at this guy. He looks like a crazy ass mountain man. But anyway, here's what Stuart looked like otherwise. He had a huge beard. He had a huge forehead. He had long hair. I mean, that was the style of the day. When my parents got married, my mom and dad had the same length hair. It was down their backs. Everybody had long hair. Well, at least in my parents' circle. He really worshipped Albert Einstein, who had a closet full of the same shirts and pants for everyday use, and Stuart really saw himself as being as smart as Einstein, and he wanted a uniform for himself, so he could be seen basically wearing the same thing every day. He wore olive green button-down shirts over a t-shirt, brown trousers. I can't believe I just said trousers. When's the last time you heard that word? Anyway, he wore brown trousers. Who am I? And kind of like these tan faux suede Converse sneakers. 
he had his flare pens in one pocket, ready to color code, and he later would add a black pouch to his belt, giving himself like this military look. He thought he was, I don't know, the general of his army for God, maybe. He really wanted to look like yeah, like a military leader. If you look at him in pictures, it looks like he's leading some kind of guerrilla coup in Central America. And you would never even know that it's uh, an organization talking about the Bible. They look like they're preparing for war in some photos. It's interesting. I'm getting a lot of my information um, about Stuart from a blog called Angel Fire, by the way, and I was pointed in this direction from another personal tell-all type of blog that I will touch on later, um, but I'm shouting out to Angel Fire because you've done a great job over there in just accumulating a lot of who Stuart was through the years and in a lot of detail. This is first-hand knowledge, so primary source. Um, Trail wore this same uniform every day, basically, from 1974 through the late 1980s before he started changing it up. I don't know, maybe he gained some weight, maybe he needed comfortable sweatpants after, after that, but he wore this military getup for the larger part of the group being huge when the group was in its prime. And he also, some think, maybe was demonstrating this ascetic attitude by, quote, not hoping in this life or not, not wanting material things, teaching that the members should cast away all visions of material things and be poor and be struggling because that's what Jesus would want for them. Now, if you remember from listening to my other podcasts so far, which are episodes one and two, Stuart claimed that all of this was the righteous way of living, but he himself was never living this way. And I do have to make a correction to episode two where I said um, Stuart was living with his wife Shirley in New Jersey. He lived later with his wife Gail, his second wife in New Jersey. He lived with Shirley in Allentown, and then he lived in apartments away from the compounds with her as well later on. But he always lived in way better conditions than his young followers who were forced into communes together and worked for almost no wages for many, many hours every day. And he collected that money and used it for himself and to buy airplanes, which we will talk way more about when we get into Haiti. So very few people in Stewart's group questioned him openly, and my mom really emphasized this when she was telling me about what it felt like to be at the Bible studies or at the big meetings, as they called them, where it would be 1,000 to 3,000 people every year, every few months. I'm not sure how often those went on. Stewart was the ultimate in all things godly, they thought, and they couldn't question anything he said, no matter how batshit crazy it sounded. This effect made him untouchable, unaccountable to anyone, unknowable. You never knew the truth about Stuart. My mom and dad have both always said this. And it made him alone in knowing things that they assumed they didn't. So he could tell them the sky is green and the grass is blue. And even though 3,000 people would know that not to be true. 
they knew that they were not allowed to question that because the public humiliation that would follow and his ease with words and how he he was a smart guy and he could cut people down horrifically in front of their brothers and sisters, as they called each other, so they didn't dare question him openly about anything. Now, this really came into play when it had to do with Stuart's relationships, which were highly, highly questionable. No one could ever speak about them to one another or, God forbid, to him. His first wife, Shirley, as a reminder, he married from an orphanage that he was volunteering at. And I dug a little deeper and I found out he actually married her when she was 16 years old. This is the wife that had five children with him and who she was forced to wear these little girl getups all of the time. They were married for quite a while and she was always infantilized in this way, made to look like a child, even as she grew older. He didn't like her growing older, probably, because he had a lot of young women around him. She started becoming this mom with responsibilities. She wasn't interested in coming to these big meetings or to these daily Bible studies after a while. She had shit to do. And he started becoming interested in other women. However, to manipulate everyone around him, he started accusing Shirley of cheating on him. Now, again, this is the wife he took out of an orphanage, married at 16, and then had five children with. And so he's doing exactly what he accused her of. But his congregation, all of his followers, and my mom told me this too, knew nothing. They knew nothing. Some people on the inside someone named Skip and Pam, who were kind of like the higher ups, just like in Scientology, you know, there's David Miscavige, and then there's the people right below him. The Skip and Pam were kind of right below Stuart. They have written things and testified, testified online to Stuart cheating on Shirley with someone named Gail. Now this Gail was very young. She was a teenager. She was in the group. She was his secretary for a time. And Shirley kind of started catching on to this. And people were witnessing it, but of course not talking about it. Gail Gillespie was 18 years old in 1975. And she started accompanying Stuart on different trips, different, um, different outings, you know, staying at hotels together. People actually witnessed them sleeping in the same bed if rooms were shared, which rooms were always shared in the Kobu. Now, that's kind of interesting, though, because Stuart, hmm, he didn't share a lot. Anyway, there's two different stories from two separate blogs that I found online that claim Shirley was in a diner with Stuart toward the end of their relationship. And she stood up and she unscrewed the lid off of a sugar bowl or one of those sugar pourers that you see in the old diners. I actually have one of those in my house. I love that thing. She took the lid off. And she poised it over his head and poured the whole thing over him. And he sat there calmly looking around at everyone else because there was a whole group of Kobu people there with him. And he used that later to say that she was crazy and vindictive and backsliding against God. And that's why he had to ultimately divorce her. 
Now she was pouring that freaking sugar on him because she was in a rage over him openly cheating on her, probably for ages. When she finally got the nuts to leave him, he announced to the group, which my mom told me about, that that Shirley had taken his children and gone, and everyone was in shock. I'm talking about the people lower down, you know, the group itself, not the, not the inner echelon. They knew what the hell was going on. So Stuart announces this. Meanwhile, he's busy buying planes with all of the money that he's collecting from all of this free labor. And he sidetracks everyone about this crazy relationship stuff he has going on by mentioning that he wants to open up a mission in Haiti. And so everyone gets excited about that. He totally derails the whole relationship drama into doing good all over the world. And so people are ecstatic about the Kobu spreading its reach. However, the same time between 1975 and 1976 is when Stewart officially files for divorce from Shirley. He accuses her of adultery. And he actually gets some of his Kobu followers to kidnap his own children, take them to Atlantic City, then to Canada, and finally to fellowship houses, i.e. the communes, in the Kobu. Shirley cannot get her children back. And in fact, she is finally only granted visitation rights on Kobu property. She comes back to visit her kids, and according to, back to the Angel Fire website, which is the firsthand account of being in the Kobu, one brother, these are brothers and sisters that they call each other, remember, one brother remembers Trail and some of the sisters rehearsing scripted answers with the children to give their mother, Shirley, when she asked about their well-being because she was very afraid they were being abused. Public spanking of Stuart's wives and of his children and of everyone's children was encouraged. Public humiliation, if you'll recall, was one of the tools he used to control the group. If you didn't want to be publicly humiliated, you would act right. And he he bet on that and he won on that a lot of times. Now Shirley knew that her children were not safe with Stuart, but her children were coached by Stuart to give her stock answers and to say that they were fine. And when Stuart in 1976, just a year afterward, was 40 years old and married Gail, who was 19 in New York, they kept the children. Gail and Stuart, as I recall, do not have any children together. However, later on in the early 80s, and this is from Philadelphia Magazine in 2015, an article called They Believed What? About Pennsylvania Cults. Later, four men would be convicted of abusing Stuart's son through one of these public humiliation practices. They say that he demanded total obedience, reportedly weighing his wife in public. I'm not sure if this was Shirley or Gail, but I'm betting it was Shirley. He weighed her in public and berated and spanked her if he didn't like the results. He liked his women like little girls, skinny, small, subservient. That was his deal. And again, like I said before, public spanking was encouraged. Shame plus punishment was the most effective. That's what he thought. In the 1980s, four Kobu members in Philadelphia were convicted of beating Trail's youngest son at Trail's behest. This is a quote from the article. 
first with a belt, then with a board, sending him to CHOP, which is a hospital in the area, in serious condition. Quote, we didn't want to hit him with the board, one defendant testified, but the belt had no effect. We stopped when the board broke. Stewart's second wife, Gail, would later suffer a life-altering experience from an accident in which Stuart Trail was directly involved. More on this and more on how my own parents escaped the Kobu next time on Pink Shade.